Well, greetings and God bless, church. I am so excited to be back in the house to be able to preach with you this week. If you have your Bibles, go to Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 18. Uh, But it has been my joy to be able to listen and to sit at the feet uh, of our founding senior pastor, Pastor Greg Burns, who has done a phenomenal job over the past couple of weeks. Can we give it up for Pastor Burns? It is still the tail end, I guess, transitioning out now of Pastor Appreciation Month. And so I just want to acknowledge him and his tireless efforts for building the church and starting the church over 28 years ago and for his consistency still to be a part of what we do. And it is my joy to be able to lead with my father. And so I'm excited to get back into the word. Just one note here before we get going, actually two announcements that I want to make. The first of which is uh, I encourage you to mark out some time and some space for next week's message because we are starting a new sermon series next week entitled Focus. We're going to talk about finding the why, the what, the how, the where, and the who. That's right. That's five things. We're going to have five power-packed sermons talking about what it means to be focused in this season, what it means to live a distraction-free life, to do what God has called for us to do. And you don't want to miss it. Whether you're 8, 18, 80, it doesn't matter. This will be an important message for you. And then finally, I do want to take some time uh, before we enter into prayer Uh, to just draw our attention and our hearts towards solidarity, comfort, and empathy with our uh, brothers and sisters at Zion Hope Primitive Baptist Church. Uh, As most of you know, one of the generals of the faith here in Pensacola, uh, Elder Bernard Yates, went home to be with the Lord uh, earlier this week. And so I just want to create as much space as possible for us uh, to pray for his family, to pray for First Lady Vonda Yates, uh, his daughter, Labria Yates, uh, his son-in-law, Ricky, and their beautiful grandchildren. And, and I just want us as a church to remember that we are one church. Come on now. We are one church. And yes, we may be in different vineyards, in different assignments, but we have the same mission and we're fighting against one enemy. So when, when one member of the body hurts, as Paul would say, the entire body hurts. That doesn't just mean for our local body, but it means for our corporate uh, body as well, the Church of Pensacola. And so would you join me in praying for Zion Hope and praying for the Yates family and also praying for our time together as we open up the word. Father God, it is with heavy hearts that we come before you and ask that you would be the great comforter, the one who draws us near to you. Father, many of us knew Elder Yates. We knew his consistency. We knew uh, his, his faithfulness in ministry. We knew him personally. And God, I pray, God, that the impact that he has had in this city would extend, that it would continue on, that as someone has said, his legacy would never die. God, I I thank you for many years of faithful service. I pray now, God, that you would reward him with crowns in glory, with crowns in eternity. And God, I pray for his family, First Lady Vonda, Labria, Ricky, the grandchildren, God, everybody, extended family, and also the Zion Hope family as well, that they would come together in this time, comfort one another, and receive the peace that passes all understanding from you. Where do we run and what do we do? What do we do when we are in trouble? We run into your sanctuary. We run into your great fortress because you have promised to be a refuge, a present help in a time of trouble. 
God, I pray that our hearts would be celebratory, but our hearts would be solemn as well, recognizing the importance of this moment and what he meant to this city. And God, I pray that we would be thankful for the pastors that we do have, that we would be thankful for the leaders that have trailblazed and that have carved out so much for us to run in. And God, I pray that you would make us all consistent and faithful. And even as we open up your word, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Go to Amos chapter five. If you have Amos chapter five, uh, just say, I got it. Say, I got it. Amos chapter five. And we're getting ready to get into this particular passage, an unusual passage of scripture, because we gather here today on the cusp of one of the most important national elections in our history. Every election is important, of course, but this one just feels different, right? The the presence of a global pandemic, the precautions of a vitriolic political discourse, it leads us to consider this a high-stakes election. There are so many issues on the ballot. And when I say this is an important election, many people misunderstand. They think we're talking about one race, the race for president of the United States. But I just want to encourage you to remember that the election is not just about the presidency. It is not just about national office, but it is also about state and local office as well. It's also about judges. It's also about amendments. It's also about representatives. It's also about city councilmen and women. And it is interesting because so many of us are hinging, are holding our breath to to figure out what is going to happen in this election. And our dialogue surrounding the race is typically about the winners, right? The nation can take drastically different turns based upon who wins the election this coming Tuesday. And I hope that if you have not, that you will let your voice be heard on election day, that you will go out and vote. Doesn't matter how long it takes, I hope that you will go out and vote. Once again, escambiavotes.gov if you are local in the Pensacola area. And the winner of this election profoundly matters to people's lives. Don't get it twisted. I know that we are nonpartisan. We don't wave a banner for one side or the other. But the winner of this election does matter. The policies do matter. The personalities will be important. There is no doubt about it. But I wanted to speak a word today about preparing our hearts for this upcoming week and something that resets our expectations spiritually for what God has called for us to do. So I spent some time away and I was able to get in the presence of God and as I was preparing for the focus series and the rest of the year and planning for 2021, I asked the question, I asked God, what would you have us to do? What should we prepare ourselves to do in this national election moment? And there are so many things that I thought I was going to hear from God, so many things that I thought he was going to say and tell me in our private time. But he really said one particular word. He said, tell my people it's time to worship. It's time to worship. This was interesting to me and curious to me. For some of you, this will be celebratory news. For others, this will be confusing news. Some of you celebrate because you'll say, yes, that's exactly what I've been wanting to hear. Get away from all the discussion about the culture and the society, and let's get back to just worshiping. Nothing else. Let's just worship. 
Others of you may be confused because you're asking the question, God, with all the pressing issues, if this election does profoundly matter, if the things that are on the ballot are important, if they affect real lives and my neighbors and my life and my future generation's lives, isn't it important for us to do a little bit more than just worship? And I understand why these sides, I understand why you might respond in a confused way to this reality. And the reason is because perhaps we have misunderstood what worship really is. Perhaps we have misunderstood the true root of what worship is. Many of us perceive worship to be something that we do on a Sunday morning. Just like we have had Minister Stephanie ably lead us in worship and this entire wonderful praise team to come in and loyally serve us in this moment, to usher us into the presence of God. We think that's the extent of all that worship is, but I'm here to tell you, church, we have worship twisted. We have worship misunderstood. Because just because we are standing here in a Sunday morning gathering, just because we are scattered in our living rooms and worshiping God and lifting our hands, doesn't mean that we are truly worshiping God. (laughs) That's why I believe God led me to this particular passage of Scripture in a confrontational book, the book of Amos. Of all the books in the Bible that we could be reading right now, there might be no more important book for us to read in this moment than the book of Amos. It's not a popular book. It won't make many lists for the favorite books of the Bible to study, but it speaks to our current reality more than we know, and perhaps that's why it's not popular. The book of Amos is a stinging indictment against God's people. It's not popular because of its message. It calls out the children and the people of God for the things that they're participating in that they shouldn't be. It calls out the people of God for the things that they're not doing that they should be. And does that sound familiar? It seems as though there is an openness here that God is saying, there are things that I'm observing you doing and there's things that I'm observing you not do that I am not pleased with. So he calls the prophet Amos. Amos is not a typical prophet though. Amos is actually a shepherd, a fig tree farmer. And he lived on the border of the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel. The northern kingdom was materially wealthy. It was prosperous because of the king who was a great military leader, Jeroboam. But it was not just materially wealthy, but it was also morally bankrupt. They they worshiped everything but God. And they led so many people into prosperity, but because they led people into prosperity, they forgot where they came from, and then they started to perpetuate injustice. And so Amos goes to a place called Bethel, and Bethel has a large temple. And so Amos goes to this large church and proclaims the word of God. And the question again is, what should we prepare ourselves to do, church? on the cusp of great turmoil, on the cusp of great confusion, on the cusp of potentially great chaos, what should we prepare ourselves to do? Well, we should prepare ourselves to worship, but not like how worship has been popularly portrayed. Amos comes into the sanctuary, and if you read the book of Amos from chapters 1 up until our text in chapter 5, you find it quite fascinating because He starts off by saying he's going to critique the nation of Israel, which sounds like intimidating news, but then he starts talking bad about all the other countries that are surrounding Israel. He starts talking bad about what this country has done and what this region has done and the injustice that that region has perpetuated. Children of Israel are feeling good about this. They're like, yeah, go get them. I told y'all they was no good. 
But just because he talks around them, it lulls them into this false sense of security and superiority. And then he saves God's largest denunciation for the children of Israel. Israel's transgressions are extensive. The wealthy have ignored the poor. Injustice was all around them and they said nothing. There was debt slavery. And then once there was debt slavery, they were denying the people who were enslaved legal representation. It was a heavy, stinging, critical indictment of the children of Israel. Uh, Take a listen to what Amos says on behalf of God. He says, woe to you, Amos 5 verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. It's not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness. Catch this, verse 21. I hate, I despise your feasts and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs and the melody of your harps. I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. It's fascinating here because this is a strong word from the Lord through the prophet. And it questions some things about Israel because it is easy for us to think that the people and the children of Israel, if God is indicting them, they must not be worshiping properly. But here's the reality. They were observing all the religious feasts. They were doing everything that they were supposed to be doing. God, I thought this is what you wanted. I thought you wanted us to sacrifice and feast and give up burnt offerings to you. And God is like, you've missed the point because just because you're doing that doesn't mean you're authentically believing the things that you are saying and worshiping. And so here's the reality. He says in verse 21, I hate, I despise your feasts, your worship gatherings, your assemblies. There are three statements I want to make today. The first one is this. If your worship isn't holy, it's hypocrisy. If your worship isn't holy, it's hypocrisy. Is your worship holy, church? How would you judge the holiness of your worship? It's a good question for us to ask, right? Perhaps some of you might be thinking it's the right songs that you need to sing. It's the theologically accurate songs. Perhaps some of you are thinking it's the sincerity with which you sing. Perhaps others of you are thinking it's the level of focus that you have in the worship moment. That's how you know your worship is truly holy. Perhaps some of you think that it's the modulation or it's the style of worship. Some of you might perhaps think that it's the fact that we gather together. That's what makes worship truly holy. But this is the reality. Worship is holy if what you believe in your heart reaches your hands. (laughs) Hear me. Worship is holy if what you believe in your heart reaches your hands. Worship is not measured simply by sincerity. It's measured by activity. Worship is not simply measured by what you say with your lips, but by how you live with your life. You know your worship is holy if you're actually doing the things that you're singing about doing. I give myself away. Go ahead. Go give yourself away in commitment to your neighbor. That's how I know it's real worship. God, I'm here to be used. Okay, go be used in sacrifice and service for the least of these. That's how I know that you got real worship. 
God, I'm here. Do whatever you want to do. Okay, when I flip the tables of your life upside down and cause you to get out of a comfortable place to an uncomfortable place and you accept it and say, thy will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that's how I know your worship is for real. See, just because you say something doesn't mean you truly live the things that you say. And this is the reality. We must have the, the realization that our worship is not automatically holy just because we sing well. We got to get over ourselves, church. We think we sing well here. God has better singers in heaven than us. God has the angels that he's listening to. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We think that God is impressed with our worship. We think that God is impressed with the way that we sing our songs and with the intensity and with our sweat and with our shout and with our dance. And God is saying, if you don't live the things that you say, what good is your worship? As a matter of fact, it's hypocrisy. It's not holy. There was this meme that was going around. And it was really interesting. This meme, it said something funny. It said, speaking in tongues won't replace the apology you owe someone in English. <laughs> Can I run that back? Speaking in tongues won't replace the apology you owe someone in English. Walter Brueggemann, he puts it like this. He said, we love our mantras better than we love our practices. We love talking a good game about God, but we don't love actually living the game that we talk. This is why you can talk one way to God and then talk sideways to your neighbor. This is why you can lift up holy hands in the sanctuary and then use those same hands to do something unholy in society. This is why you can dance with your feet and then in society kick someone while they're down. See, just because we sing good... Just because we sing sincere doesn't make it worship. That worship isn't holy. It's hypocrisy. God says, I hate it. God says, I can't stand it. And worship is supposed to be a sweet savor to our God. Worship is supposed to be an aroma that invites the presence of God. But here's the thing, church. Be careful about singing well and smelling bad. Be careful about a worship that sings beautifully, but stinks in the nostrils of God. God is not impressed by our performance, church. God is not duped by our show. God doesn't want us to put on a theatrical, cinematic production. He desires for the worship that is in our hearts to reach our hands. That's how we know worship is holy and not hypocrisy. He goes on, though. He goes on to say, in verses 23, 22 and 23. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and you're great, you're doing the right things. Come on, God, I'm giving a generous offering. Come on, God, I'm following the law. As the law has been given to me, I am going out and doing. I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, the best of your cattle, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. Be quiet. Can you imagine God said, be quiet, shut your mouth to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. Why? Because you're not letting justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. You know, the second phrase here, the first phrase is if your worship isn't holy, it's hypocrisy. Number two here, if your worship doesn't work, it's weak. If your worship doesn't put in work, it's weak. Notice here, God says through the prophet, 
Let justice roll down like water, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now, it's easy for us to take these very popular verses and breeze past them, but there is something that is happening in the text and context of these verses that it's important for us to dive into. The, the words, the Hebrew words for righteousness and justice are interesting and powerful. The, the word for righteousness is zedekah. It carries with it this idea of equality in interpersonal relationships, in doing the right thing and the just and equitable thing in interpersonal relationships. And the word, the Hebrew word for justice is mishpat. And mishpat carries with it this idea of right judgment. It's the legal laws, the systems. So it is both the horizontal and the vertical. It is both the interpersonal and the corporate. And what we see here is that God is challenging us on the grounds of righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice are so powerful in the Bible that it repeatedly says about God that he loves them and he's built the foundation of his throne upon them. Psalms 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Psalm 33, verse 5, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Psalms 106, 3, blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Proverbs 21, verse 3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord, catch this, than sacrifice. So God doesn't want our worship just to be disconnected, adoration to him, without putting in the work that's necessary to prove that that worship is real. God desires for our worship to put in work. God desires for our worship to be matched with justice. This is the exact same thing that Jesus is talking about to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. He says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, see that word, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Worship but no justice. Adoration, but no equality. Praise, but no equity. Clapping your hands, but cutting off the supply of flourishing to your neighbor. Worship, but no justice. How could this happen? How could the children of Israel have fallen into worship and no justice? How could the church in America have fallen into worship and no justice. Earlier this week, it was so interesting. I was uh, passing by downtown. I passed by what is now known as Florida Square, what was previously known as Lee Square. And I passed by a Confederate monument. And I know that's been a hot topic in our cultural discourse. In the cultural discourse, the Confederate monument was being lifted up. It was being removed out of the center of our downtown area. And it was being removed because People had seen it as an offensive symbol of the past, a symbol of lost cause monuments. And historians are not divided on what these represent. A number of my historian friends have made plenty of statements about the reality. My good friend Jamar Tisby wrote a book on it, The Color of Compromise, where he talks about the symbolism of why these Confederate monuments were erected at the time in which they were, symbols of intimidation, symbols of remembrance. Uh, a local historian named Dr. Jamin Wells he put it like this. He said, it's not a particularly contested point among professional historians that this was a part of Jim Crow, of segregation, separate but equal. 
And it's so interesting because I was looking at the Confederate monument and I was asking myself this question, how did this, how could this happen? How could it happen that these are erected right in the center of our city? How, how could this happen? And then I did some study on the ceremony that was erecting the Confederate monument. The first day it was put up. You want to know what they did before they did anything else? They prayed. They did. Look it up. They had local pastors from multiple denominations come together and pray to sanctify a symbol of hate. They had local pastors that came together to give an invocation and a blessing of what they considered to be a monument to heritage. Worship and no justice. How could this happen? Because a generation of Christians believed in worshiping God on Sunday and denying justice to their neighbor Monday through Saturday. That's how it can happen. Worship and no justice. How could all these Confederate monuments be erected in a top worship and no justice? How could the lynchings that happen in the South happen on Sundays after church with over 5,000 Christians in many cases coming together to watch brothers and sisters in Christ who just looked a little bit different than them be dismembered and be hung, worship and no justice? How is it that Emmett Till could be killed and no worship and no justice. How is it that we could have a freedom struggle where, where many of the churches oppose equality, oppose the vote, worship and no justice? How is it that in a time where we have more access to justice materials and education and history, now there is a greater rise of white supremacy and white not worship and no justice? How is it that children could be separated from the border and 545 of them no longer have access to their parents? They're separated from their functionally orphan worship and no justice. How is it that a man could sit on another man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds and we're still debating whether or not he does worship and no justice? The stakes are high, church. And many of us think we have the misconception that God is going to ignore injustice because our worship sounds good. God is saying, no, if your worship doesn't put in work, it's weak. Be quiet. Don't say anything. Don't talk to me about how much you love me if you can't love the neighbor I created in the same image of God. And I know it's heavy, and I know it's difficult, and I know it's tough for us to hear, but I have to say unequivocally, church, if the worship that we have with our lips doesn't match the work that we do with our lives, God is not pleased with us. Righteousness, Zedekiah, and justice, Mishpat. It's not just righteousness without justice. It's also justice without righteousness. We must remember that just because we see and Observe injustice, it doesn't mean that God has kept us away or exempted us from obeying his commands. M many of us will say, God, I did so much in your name. God, I went out and went to the protest and the march. And God says, wait, that was all good. But here's the problem. I don't know you. <laughs> There's not relationship. 
Why, why doesn't your worship extend not just to what you do in public, but what you do in private? Why is it that you could talk so much to people, but you couldn't talk to me in private? Why is it that you had so much concern for justice and none for your own righteous character? It cuts both ways, church. Righteousness and justice. Worship and equity. And God is saying that if your worship doesn't put in work, it's weak. Finally, here we ask the question, what is it that God is calling the children of Israel to do? What is it that he's calling them to do? How is he leading them? How is he taking them into the place that they are supposed to go? And yes, it's true that if our, if our worship isn't holy, it's hypocrisy. Yes, it's true that if our worship doesn't put in work, it's weak. But what is God actually calling us to do? And if you take a look at the text of Amos, what he is calling for people to do is to return to him, to seek him and live. Amos chapter five, verse four. So here's my last statement. First of all, if your worship isn't holy, it's hypocrisy. If your worship doesn't work, it's weak. Finally, if your worship doesn't remind you, you won't repent. If your worship doesn't remind you, you won't repent. Worship is intended not just to be disconnected from what we do, but also it's not intended to be disconnected from what God has already done. Why is God so upset with the children of Israel? He says it in multiple times, multiple times throughout the, the book of Amos. I am the God that brought you out of slavery. Now you enslave other people. I am the God that took you out of the place of injustice. Now you perpetuate injustice to other people. God is most offended by worship that does not remind. God is most offended by worship that does not lead us to repentance. God is most offended by worship that does not draw us back to the presence and person and work and power of God to tell us, to remember, to bring to our remembrance what God has already done. And I fear, church, that we're worshiping disconnected from the great story of what God has done for us. I'm always bringing this up. Do you remember where God brought you from? Do you remember what God has done for you? Do you remember how God has brought you out? Do you remember how God saved you and sanctified you and filled you with the Holy Ghost? Do you remember what God has done for you? You need to be reminded of what God does for you because here's what happens when we lack a reminder in our worship. When we lack a reminder in our praise, when we lack a reminder in our shout, a reminder in our hallelujah, what tends to happen? We forget the fact we didn't get here by ourselves. We forget the fact that we didn't raise ourselves up. We forget the fact that we didn't save ourselves. We didn't heal ourselves. We didn't deliver ourselves. We didn't redeem ourselves. And it leads us to push away from repentance. Repentance meaning to change our minds. Repentance meaning to recalibrate our souls. Repentance meaning to look at the things that we have participated and put our hands to and turning our back against those things and saying, no, I will choose to seek God and live. Worship that doesn't remind us will keep us from repentance. And repentance is what will save our lives. God is asking us today, do you have the true worship? The worship that doesn't let you anesthetize yourself from what I've done for you. 
the worship that says, vote for the good, but then participate in the good that you vote for. The worship that says, if my worship isn't holy, if it doesn't come from my heart to my hands, it's hypocrisy. The worship that says, if it doesn't put in work, it's weak. The worship that says, if it doesn't remind me of what God has done for me, then I won't repent. And repentance is what saves my life. Church, it doesn't matter how many years you have been in the family of God. If you have failed to repent, if you say no sin lies within you, if you say there is nothing for you to do now, then you are in grave danger, my brother and my sister. God is saying, hold up. Don't forget what I've done for you and don't forget what I still need to do in you. God is asking us, are you ready to worship? Are you prepared to worship through this week, through the rest of this year, through 2021? It's time to worship, church. But here's the problem. Do you understand what worship really is? Worship and justice, righteousness and justice. God, we acknowledge your presence in this place. We know that you have communicated a heavy word to us. These are not my words. These are yours, God. I pray right now. I pray right now with hands lifted. Everyone lift your hands right where you are. I pray that our solemn duty, our solemn commitment to you is to worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray that our solemn commitment to you is not to say something with our lips that we refuse to live with our lives. Hmm. I want you to spend some time with God right now. Take a minute. We got time. We ain't going nowhere. I want you to take a minute right now and I want you to solemnly reflect on whether or not your worship has been real. Your worship has been true. Your worship has been consistent. Just take a few moments. Wherever you are, spend some time with the Lord. If you need to pause the stream, you can. If you need to go out of the stream, you can. Take a moment. And I want you to say out loud, God, I want to worship you for real. God, I want to worship you for real. I pray, God, that you would raise up the true worshipers, the ones who in John 4, you told the woman at the well, the ones who would worship in spirit and in truth, with lips and lives with our songs and our substance, with our heart and our hands. God, may we not make the mistake of failing to do what is good in this moment, of failing to pursue consistent character in this moment. But may our hearts be transformed and our lives match that transformation. May it be so here. May it be so in our land. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Bless you, church. Lord, if I.
Well, church, I hope you enjoyed that powerful word. And I believe that God is doing something in the inside of our hearts. Even though we cannot meet together, I believe that God is doing something in our hearts right in our living rooms, right in our bedrooms. And I just want to encourage you, if you have not made the decision to follow Jesus, you can at any point in time during this service, at any point in time when you're listening later, I want you to type home in the comments. There are people who are ready and willing to reach out to you to see how we can pray for you, how we can support you and uplift you in this time. And if you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, it's just a prayer away. Just let him know. He is listening to you. Just let him know, God, I desire to follow you. I desire to transfer all of my personal worth, all of my personal satisfaction, all of my personal cares over to a God who is greater than my situation. And I desire to follow after you in the way, loving you in all that I say and I do and reflecting your character. Give me the strength to do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. And if you pray that prayer in your own words, you don't have to repeat it after me. You have joined the family of God. For the word says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Once again, you can type home in the comments. We're so excited to walk with you on this new journey. I also want to say that if you want to join our church, there are people who are, who are actively in that process right now. And I'm so excited. We had a phenomenal meeting this past week with them. And so I just want to encourage you to reach out at any time. It doesn't necessarily have to even be in this season. If you're watching two months down the line, I want you to type join in the comments. And I want to be able to reach out to you and tell you about how we can continue to encourage you in this season. If you missed the opportunity to give, there's three ways you can do so. You can go to ndccpensacola.org and click offerings on our website. You can also go to the Tively app and type in New Dimensions Christian Center, or you can mail it in the old-fashioned way, P.O. Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. Church, I miss you. I miss you so much. But I believe that God is doing something on the inside of us, and I want to encourage you, do not miss next week. Do not miss next week because God has given us a word that we're going to declare and deliver to you. And in the meantime, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Give you peace and power as you go throughout your way. Now go and be blessed. Conquer this week. Win this week. And be safe while you do it. I love you so much. And on behalf of New Dimensions Christian Center, I want to encourage you to come back next week where our destiny is helping you to unlock your destiny.